Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks, guys. It's a privilege to be here. Um, God is good, and we are privileged to be able to gather together as the church, to gather as God's people, and to really come together so that we could be strengthened, encouraged, and yes, challenged. I love I love to challenge people, and oftentimes I will probably hit that the hardest. And so hopefully we will leave today feeling encouraged, feeling strengthened, but also feeling incredibly challenged as I challenge, because <laughs> I know it was mentioned, that was a churchy word, so I'm going to continue to use it, as we challenge our perspective and how we see the world and how we see ourselves as who God has called us to be, how, who, how we see our King, our Creator, the King of glory, our King of kings, Lord and Lord, Jesus Christ who is sitting on the throne, how we see Him and how that affects absolutely every aspect of who we are and our lives that flow from it. And me personally, I'm, I've been very blessed by your pastor. I've been very blessed by Pastor Mark and his wife, Kara. They have, he was actually, they were just a, in our church as well a couple months ago, and he brought the word and he really brought it. It was very good and strategic for us as a people. Um, we do lead a church in Commerce City, and uh, it's called Radiance Church, and we just uh, enjoy partnering together to see what God is doing in our region and to see Him work. Because let me tell you something, Colorado and this nation and the nations of the world need Impact Rock to be strong. The stronger you are, the more it benefits us as a us as uh, us at Radiance Church. The more it benefits Erie and Denver and all the surrounding areas. God has called Impact Rock to be a strong church that He is propelling in for His plans and His purposes. And I just want to speak speak into you guys, and hopefully, hopefully, I could just help lay a strong foundation, challenge our perspective, and who God has called us to be. And and I mean. And with that, what I want to start with is I want to just start with our um, just the foundation of who Jesus is. I have lots of points, lots of things I want to get to. Some of the stuff might be kind of difficult to hear. And if I do offend you, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry at the same time. Sometimes I think we need to be offended. Sometimes I, I think we need to be, 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 be have, have uh, the way that we see things challenged a little bit. Because I believe we need to, as we move forward, that begins to strengthen us and sharpen us so that we could run faster and run longer in what God has called us to. And if I could just start with this foundation of Jesus, because He is the reason that we exist. He is the reason that we're here today. He is the reason that we have the uh, ability to gather together. He is the one who has given us life. And I have the 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 convenience, I guess, or the the privilege to. Uh, I know many of you, but I don't know most of you. So I don't know if this is your home church and if you've been here forever. I don't know if you're unsaved coming in off the streets. I don't know if this is your first time here. So I have the privilege of just coming up here and being able to rave about who Jesus is and what He's done for us. And the thing is, we have to start with the foundation of Jesus. And if I could just take a couple minutes before I get into my main points of what I want to share today, if I could just come up here and just begin to rave about Jesus and His goodness. As we were worshiping and singing today, great job, music team. It was awesome. His presence was here. It was a great time of worship. And we, and we were worshiping and singing about the love of God. 
the love of our Father. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. If I could bring this, the, even even connect the songs that we were singing and our, our worship time together as we were worshiping together. God's love, the magnificence of His love, the love that overcomes everything. The love that is stronger than any other force we could ever, that we could ever see or quantify or feel or touch. That love was made manifest through the person of Jesus Christ. It was made manifest. Jesus, I mean, God proved His love to us by sending the Son, by sending Jesus into this world who emptied Himself Because here's the beautiful thing about Jesus, is He existed before time began. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were together in perfect harmony, perfect relationship as God. One being three persons. They were together perfectly. But it was always their plan. It was always God's plan that the Son, the Word would enter into this world to empty Himself, to lay aside His deity, to empty Himself and put on this carnal flesh where He now has to eat and drink and have these bodily needs that He takes it on. And He went through and He has gone through every single thing we could possibly go through. We can never say that Jesus doesn't understand because He does understand. Because He went through it. He's felt what we felt. He's gone through what we've gone through times exponentially greater. Because He lived a perfect life. He, was, he didn't have the easiest upbringing. He was born in a blue-collar family where they worked hard for a living. He walked through that. I'm sure He was teased. I mean, imagine being a perfect kid. I mean, kids would, that would drive other kids nuts. I'm sure he was teased and tormented, but he lived a perfect, blameless life and then went all the way to the cross and endured a painful, brutal death. Torturous death, more than many of us could ever comprehend. But his sacrifice didn't stop there. He endured the worst spiritual death anyone has ever experienced. I mean, even in this world, we have theologians call it common grace, where it's the, it's the, um, it's the, it's the goodness of God that just is extended to everyone. Where you could be unsaved and still experience love and beauty and even grace and mercy in weird circumstances. It's the common grace. It's just the goodness of God that we see all around us. We can enjoy the beautiful mountains. We could go to the coast. We could look up into the stars and enjoy the goodness of who God is. And we could feel His presence all amongst us. I mean, even there are unsaved non-believers who just, sometimes they could just sense the presence of God. (laughs) That's common grace. That's been given to all of us. But here's what happened is that the Father had to turn His back on the Son. And He experienced total spiritual death. And our sin, our junk, all of our rebellion against Him was placed onto Jesus. Was placed onto Him. All of your past sins, everything that's going on right now that you're struggling with, and everything in the future that you could possibly do, Jesus took on Himself and bore that for us. And the title of this, this message today is Responding to the Call. And before we could even think about the greatness of the call that He's called to, what I want to first start with is our response to the King. 
If we can settle this, then we can move forward a lot easier. Is, is what, what, ha, what has happened is Christ has done a magnificent work and He is now calling us back to Himself. He is calling us into relationship with Him. He is calling us into His family to be sons and daughters. He is calling us into the kingdom of light where He pulls us from the kingdom of darkness into His kingdom. And if we could just take a couple minutes to just respond to the magnificence of His love, the magnificence of who He is, and what He's accomplished for us. And if you've never made Christ your Lord, there's an opportunity to respond to that right now because He is calling you. And maybe you've been a believer for a long time, but you've strayed away. He is calling you to come back into it. Or maybe you've just been going through the motions. The greatness of His love and the magnificence of what He's done. He is calling you to come back into the fold. To shake you loose from just going through the motions. To bring you back right in the middle of His plans and purposes. Is that okay, Mark? If we could just start there. Because I'm going to go through some tough things. And if we don't have that foundation of Jesus and His love and what He's done for us, because here's the amazing thing, is we don't deserve it, we sung about it. I couldn't earn it, I didn't deserve it. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation, to pay God back. It is a free gift that He has given to us. He has adopted us. But what happens when we begin to follow Christ and we make Him Lord, what He does is He adopts us as sons and daughters. He adopts us. He chooses us. Not that we chose Him. We didn't make a good decision to follow Christ. And if you're not saved here, it's not going to be a good decision that you make. It's going to be a response to what God has already done. And I believe this is for every every different phase of life, every different season, God is, what, God is wanting to call us and pull us in to what He is doing and what He is working and His plans and His purposes. And let's just take just a couple moments to just respond to that. If you want to respond in any way, if, you're, if you have not made Christ your Lord, you could respond right now. If you've fallen asleep... And become apathetic. He wants to wake you up right now. If you've just been going through the motions, He wants to shake you loose. If you feel like you've just been walking behind, He wants to pull you to the front. And if you want to respond to that right now, let's just, if you could just lift up your hand. If you could just lift up your hand in response to that. In response to that and also in surrender to Him. I believe it's good to respond, not just in our hearts, but sometimes that flows to the outward. If you could just lift up your hand. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we pray for every single one of us here that you are, that you are pulling on our hearts to respond to you. Lord, we pray that you would do a mighty work in each and every one of our hearts and lives right now, that you would reveal yourself to us afresh. And if you've never committed your heart and life to Him, it's super, 
It's all we do is we just humble our hearts before him and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for all of my sin and rebellion. Forgive me for trying to do it my own way. And I submit to your way. I submit to your truth. And would you be Lord over my life? Just pray that to him. And if you feel like you've just been apathetic or stuck, just pray, Lord, get me unstuck. Stir up a passion inside of me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's get started. Let's turn to Ephesians 1. I'm going to talk about the call of God and who we are as a people, who we are as believers, as followers of Christ. Let's go to Ephesians 1, verse 16. It says this, I do not cease to give thanks to you, uh, give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. Everybody say, to which He has called me. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the workings of His great might? that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fills all and in all. And here's some of the things I want to pull out of this. I'm going to resist the temptation of preaching through this entire passage because it's so loaded. But some of the things I want to pull up is we need to have, we, we can have such confidence to know that Christ is the head of His church. That Christ is the head of the church that I have the privilege to lead Radiance Church in Commerce City, that Christ is the head of that church. And if I could just say, if that's okay, Mark, and also just on a side note, I come completely submitted to the eldership, to Andy and Mark. I mean, uh, if they, he can, he has the complete free reign to adjust, correct anything that I say. I'm coming here submitted to his, uh, to, to the local elders. But, um, we, we can have such confidence that Christ is the head of Impact Rock Church. Mark isn't the head. Thankfully, that's a shiny head. No. <laughs> I love you, Mark. No, Mark isn't the head of this church. I'm not the head of Radiance Church. Thank goodness for those people. Thank goodness that I'm not the head of that. I have the privilege of leading them, but Christ is the head. I mean, if I could even say this, there's no such thing as a head pastor except one. Jesus is the head pastor. He is the head shepherd. (laughs) Mark and I have the privilege of leading an eldership team which leads the church. We have the privilege of doing that. But listen, we're just leading. We're just leading from the front, following one. (laughs) 
We need to take, we, we need to have confidence in that. And I could get up here and I could confidently say that because I know Mark's heart. I know how he's leading this church. And he's leading this church following Christ as each and every one of us are followers of Christ. Elders just lead from the front in our pursuit to follow him. Are you guys with me? And then if Christ is the head of the church, let me ask this question. Who or what is the church? Even in how how we've uh, as uh, with Mark and others who have shared, we kind of you kind of hear this in our language, right? And I was very pleased to kind of hear as they were even using that term, the church. Because what is the church? Let me start by saying first what it's not. The church is not a building. This building here, this venue, it's awesome. I love it. I love this venue. I love this building. It's a uh, you guys have done a great job. You guys have done a great job with this venue. But this is not the church. Sometimes we refer to it as the church, which is really incorrect. I know sometimes we do it as kind of a, just an ease to call it something. But the church is not this brick and mortar and drywall and steel and whatever else makes this building. This is not the church. The church is also not an event. We don't go to church. <laughs> the church, I mean, we gather, we gather here Sundays at 10. Same thing at Radiance Church. But it's not an event. <laughs> the church isn't some, the church isn't simply a, a, a center for worship and teaching. <laughs> Sometimes even even when we get past, okay, the church isn't a building, the church isn't an event, but then we think of it as like just this central where central place where we go to worship. Although we do worship together, but the church is not just a center for worship and teaching. The church is not a leadership group. The church isn't an individual pastor or a celebrity or a personality. All of those things don't define who the church is. The church is you and I. The church is people. We make up the church together. (laughs) So the church isn't something that we go to. The church isn't something that we do. The church isn't something that we attend. The church isn't something that those guys are doing over there. The church is you and I. Let that begin to adjust your perspective. Let that challenge your thinking a little bit. Because the church is you and I. And sometimes we say things, Oh, the church should pay for this. Oh, the church should start doing this. Why isn't the church doing this? What are we really saying? We should pay for it. We should be doing this. (laughs) Because whenever we say the church should do this, we need to replace that with we. Is that okay, Mark? (laughs) Yeah. He's like, heck yeah. Because the church is you and I. We make up the church. It's not something that we do or go to. You are the church. (laughs) Sorry I'm yelling. I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. (laughs) We are the church. You and I. It's in 1st Peter. In 1st Peter 2 verse 5. Peter says that we are living stones being built together as a dwelling place for the Most High. Each and every one of us are living stones. Everybody say, I'm a living stone. So what happened in the Old Testament, there was an actual temple where His Spirit rested. 
But guess what's happened under this new covenant? Is God's intent was always to dwell amongst His people. Now we are the stones that make up the temple for His Spirit to dwell. With us, when we talk about building the church, we're not talking about putting up steel and drywall and stuff like that. We're talking about people being built together, cemented together with mortar, which, I mean, brought together by the blood of Christ, cemented together by the Holy Spirit, brought together by Him that make the dwelling place for the Most High. Are you guys with me? The church is a people. And we, 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 I need to challenge the way that we... We need to challenge ourselves in how we talk. <laughs> and since Jesus is the head of you and I, because if Jesus is the head of the church, He's also the head of you. And He's the head of me. <laughs> and He's the head of all of us. And since Jesus is the head of the, head of the church, since He's the head of you and I, everything of who we are and everything that we do should be for Him, because of Him, through Him, in Him, by Him, and centered around Him. Everything that we do, everything of who you are, needs to be completely shaped and centered around Jesus. Because He is our head, and we are His body. (laughs) Let's go to Ephesians 3, verse 8. 8 to 12, it says this, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the, the, of the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. Verse 10, so that through the church, who's the church? So that through you and I, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have the boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. That is a massive objective. God wants to use you and me and the person next to you and the person behind you who's starting to nod off. No. <laughs> he, wants, he wants to, uh, through you and I, He wants to reveal the manifold wisdom of who He is. He wants to reveal Himself through you and me, through His people, through His church. That is a massive objective. Because God is not using us. He's not using the church to simply entertain, to market well, to have a good website, even those things are good, right? Uh, to, to, to put on a show, to even to make people feel comfortable. God has not called us as a people for just those things. Because we can sometimes reduce what God is wanting to do in us and through us. He is calling us, His church, to a holy calling of revealing Himself to this world. And in order to operate in this, Christ has to be 
at the center of our entire lives. Christ has to be at the center of everything that we do as a community, as partnering churches, and in your individual lives and your individual families. Christ has to be at the center of everything that we do. And I believe God has called Impact Rock Church to be a Christ-centered church. And in order for IRC to be a Christ-centered church and to be a Christ-centered people, it needs to be filled with Christ-centered individuals and Christ-centered families. But here's the thing, guys. Is there are things that want to contend and replace Christ at the center and actually become the center themselves. And I'm going to go through four quick things and then I'm going to uh, uh, kind of find a landing place. The first thing that contends with Christ to be at the center of each and every one of our lives, the first thing is self. Barna Group did a study that showed the vast majority. I can't remember when the study was. Everybody know Barna Group. They do surveys and and studies and things like that. And they did they did this study where they interviewed a lot of church members, and they they found that the vast majority, I think it was like eighty five percent plus, um, believed that the church existed to serve them and their families. Okay, anybody heard about that study? It was a it was a very popular study. It was very revealing, right? But then they actually interviewed the pastors. And it was actually flipped. About 85 plus percent believed that the church existed for God's plans and His purposes. And what that showed is one that showed a real disconnect between the pastors and the people. But what it also showed is this aspect of self contending with Christ to become the center of our worlds. To even become the center of our churches. (laughs) Where all of a sudden, our focus isn't even just as... I'm not talking about the, even just the, the vision of the church and all the other stuff that we framework. But even our focus as followers of Christ, as members of His body, our focus is to serve ourselves rather than to walk in His plans and purposes. See, that type of thinking isn't reserved for just the pastors. For some reason in the history of this... Of, of church life in this country and this culture, we've made it that way, but that's not God's intention. Is that the pastors or the leaders or the deacons or the elders or, or those who are leading small groups or all these other guys who have taken a larger role in leadership, they're the ones who are operating in God's plan and purposes. I'm just kind of along for the ride. <laughs> that was never God's intention. We, because we've reduced the church to, that, that, to something that looks like it's providing more of spiritual goods and services for people as opposed to being activated in what God has called us to. And I believe that's one of the major challenges facing the church in our, in our, in our nation, in our culture, in our society is this thing of reducing it to, well, I want to go to the church that has the best children's ministry because that's the best for my family. Or I want to go to the place that has the best worship or this type of music or this type of pastor or this type of teacher because that serves me the best. 
Can you guys begin to see the, how, how damaging that type of thinking can be? We even, sometimes we've even called it church shopping. Where we're just going around church shopping and for the, I know there are visitors some t- today, so I, I don't want to, I don't want to step on people's toes too much, but I mean, we, we, we think of it like church shopping. Like, let's just go and see which shirt fits the best. Right? But that's not what God has called us to. He is actually leading us and guiding us. And we should be saying, God, where have you sent me? Where have you called me? Where do you want, where do you want to plant me? Cause let me tell you, for you and your family, the best thing that you could ever do for your family is to be right in the middle of God's plans and purposes. It doesn't matter how good the children's ministry is. <laughs> it doesn't matter how hot the worship is or if it's your cup of tea or not. If you are where He is leading, that is the best place for you and your families. Because Francis Chan, and I really like Francis Chan, I don't want to promote any particular ministry or anything like that, but Francis Chan, he identifies one of the biggest idols in the church. According to him, is family. (laughs) Where our families actually get placed ahead of Jesus. Now, I love my family. And I think family is so incredibly important. But let me tell you something. It would be bad for my family if I put them ahead of Jesus. If I made decisions based on what I thought they wanted or needed rather than where God is leading and what He has already said. (laughs) The church is God's people who He has called and who He has planted in community to fulfill His plans and His purposes. Because I believe together we walk in His plans and His purposes. Honestly, I truly believe we can't do it alone. Because God does what? He takes the lonely, and what does He do? Puts them in family. It is a part of who God is for there to be relationship and community. We see that in the Godhead Himself. That He takes us and He plants us into a community. And let me tell you something. I would rather want God to do that than for me to pick the best of who I think. And really, it kind of seems more like a crapshoot. Well, hopefully this sticks. (laughs) We want God to plant us. And guys, we must not have the perspective of just self-service to us and our family, but rather the heart to serve by leading ourselves and our family by centering around Christ. Hmm. So the first thing that contends to be the center of our world is self. The second one is worldly success. Worldly success. Let me say this. The church's existence, the church's existence is not, everybody say not. The church's existence is not to grow in budgets, buildings, and bodies. Our job, so now remember whenever we say the church, we could also say us. Our job, the church's job, our job is not to just gain as much power and as much influence by attracting as many as possible, spending as much as possible, and getting as much credit as possible to give us some sort of insignificant validation that what we're doing or what we're a part of is a success. 
When we do that, we're looking to all the wrong spaces. We're looking to all the wrong areas for validation. We're measuring ourselves by all the wrong measuring sticks. They're all of the world's. (laughs) But rather, we should measure ourselves and our lives and our communities and our families by God's standard, by His measuring stick. And what is His measuring stick? Is being faithful and obedient to what He has said and what He has called us to. That's... That is what measures success in His kingdom. It's being faithful and obedient to what He has called us to. I mean, in our striving, we need to keep our perspective right. We're striving for all this worldly success in our jobs, in our careers. We're striving for this worldly sense of success to get a bigger house and a better car or a nicer neighborhood (laughs) all these other things that might be nice i'm not against big houses and nice cars that's great i have a i have a very small house in denver but it's all good we're happy (laughs) but uh we, we measure it by all these other things but really what we need to be striving for and walking in is faithfulness and obedience All of a sudden now, what job that we take is not just what makes the most sense or what pays us the best or where we'll be most happy. It's God, where are you leading me? What do you have for me? This other job over here is offering me a better job with more money. God, are you leading me over here? Or or are you saying to stay put? (laughs) And it's the same thing within our church communities. Where we look to all these other things I mentioned before, budgets, bodies, and buildings. It's so amazing in Revelation when Paul, when John on the island of Patmos has this amazing revelation of who Jesus is. One of the parts of that is Jesus addressing the seven early churches in that time. And during that time, he... he affirms them and confirms them and and tells them of areas that he's pleased and also areas that he's disappointed. And now he's speaking to the churches. He's not just speaking to the pastors, although us pastors will be held accountable. Isn't that right, Mark? Right? But he, he is speaking to the church and never once does he mention their growth, their size, how much money they're bringing in or how much money they're spending or the size of their buildings or the size of their budgets. Never once does he mention anything close to that. But what Jesus does mention, what he does mention are things like love for God, love for others, holiness, humility, truth, service, authenticity and perseverance. Those are the things Jesus wants in His church. Are you guys with me? (laughs) Those are the things that He wants. Love for God, love for others, holiness, humility, truth, service, authenticity, and perseverance. Because we cannot use the world's standards for success. We have to use God's standards in being faithful and obedient through every season, through every trial, when we get offended, when we get upset, when we're happy, when we're sad, when we're going through a tough trial or a tough circumstance. Faithful 
and obedience. (laughs) Then the next two I won't spend too much time on. But the next thing that contends for the center of Christ Himself are morals and worldviews. Let me say this, that the church's existence is not to impose a set of morals on the society or to convince people of a certain worldview or even to promote a certain doctrine. Because I know knowing, knowing this church, I know that, we are, that, that you are spirit-filled and, and the church that I lead is spirit-filled as well. But let me tell you something, the supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit is not our message. We believe that it is critical to walk in what God has called us to, but it's not our message to convince everybody that the supernatural exists. Our message is Jesus and what He's done. (laughs) Are you guys with me? We are to reflect the image of God, sharing the good news of who Jesus is and what He's done. That's what we are called to. And then also the last thing is that contends for the center is social or political agendas. The church's existence is not to promote those. I mean, Jesus, they even try to push that on Jesus, but he actually resisted that because he is, I am promoting a kingdom that is far greater than anything in this world. (laughs) And let me just finish with a few quick points. Being the church is being God's people. He has called us into his family as sons and daughters, and he has sent us out as witnesses with a mission, all the while being right there with us, leading us, guide us, empowering us, and revealing himself through us. Guys, where would we see this in God's pattern of taking the lonely and putting them in families where he plants us in local churches? And guys, he plants us, he calls us, and he leads us. And we need to be a people who hear His voice. Because our God is a God who is still speaking. Jesus said what? He says, My people hear My voice. My sheep hear My voice. I know them and they follow Me. We need to be a people who hear our King's voice, our Shepherd's voice, and we follow Him. Because <laughs> in John fifteen sixteen, He says... Uh, um, John, uh, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruits, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. Here's the beauty, th- beautiful thing that Jesus has chosen us. Just what I would mention before. He has chosen us and he has called us. Guys, he has called us to be sons and daughters, adopted sons and daughters. He has called us to be disciples. He has called us to be witnesses uh, to the world on mission for our king. He has called us into relationship with our true heavenly father. He has called us to bring glory and honor to, to our God. And he has called you. Every single one of us are called. We are all called. And here's the beautiful thing. We can look to those things that we're called to and we can stand firm and be assured that I am a son, I am a daughter, I am loved unconditionally by my God. <laughs> but He is also, there's also, I believe, a unique calling for each and every one of us. Maybe you're called like Abraham, who's called to be a father, or David, who's called to slay bears, lions, and giants. Or Moses, who is called to lead his people into freedom. Or like Noah, to build, use his skills for God's plans and purposes. 
Or maybe like Daniel who uses his business and administrative skills for what God's wanting to do. Or maybe like Ruth who is called into a foreign place to trust God in difficult circumstances. Or maybe like Elijah to operate in signs and wonders. Or maybe like Isaiah and Jeremiah to prophesy the word of the Lord. Or maybe like Esther to marry a foreign king and to rescue her people. Or like Mary to, to, uh, to care for and mother those that God has given to you. Or like Stephen to be killed for his faith. Or like Mary Magdalene to serve faithfully, showing God's restoration and reconciliation power. Or like Peter, an unschooled man to lead God's people in Jerusalem. Or Paul to take the gospel into very unpopular, uh, very unpopular places. Or like Timothy to be a young, powerful leader that God uses to equip his church. Or maybe like Luke to record the history of Jesus' life in the early church from a historical perspective. Or maybe even like Priscilla and Aquila, uh, who God called to be leaders in the local church leading and teaching. (laughs) I mean, we could go through all these things. There is a calling on each and every one of our lives. And here's the beautiful thing. Oftentimes, we don't see everything clearly. Because Paul didn't wake up one morning the apostle Paul, the apostle who wrote two thirds of the New Testament, who brought the gospel to the Gentiles. If, if it weren't for Paul, we wouldn't have the gospel. <laughs> right. So he, he 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 took the gospel into those regions, but he didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? God is calling me to take the good news into all these unpopular areas and to write two thirds of the New Testament. That is what God has called me to. So I'm going to go do it. No, what was he? He was faithful and obedient in the small decisions, in the small and in the big. And then as we are faithful and obedient, when we look back, we say, ah, that looks pretty clear. Because we need to be faithful and obedient in the small things and the big things. And how we raise our kids and how we, and which, which jobs to take, which neighborhood to move into. Which people to build relationships with? Who to pray for? Small and big. We need to be faithful and obedient. And let me close with, 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 this, with, with these two scriptures really quick. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. It says this, Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, but this is for us through the Holy Spirit. says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and in all. There is an urging here. Look at the look, look, look at that scripture. If you could put up that first one. Um, Uh, Verse 1, there's an urging, I urge you. There's an urging to walk worthy of the call. There's an urging to respond. There's an urging to, to, to wake up to what God has called us to. Not to just float and go through the motions, but there's an urging to walk in a manner worthy of the call. And we need to respond. Our responsibility is to respond. But I want to share this beautiful tension. Then in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 11, It says, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill 
every resolve for good and every good work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus might be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus. And I love this language. To this end, we always pray for you that God may make you worthy. So there's this urging to respond to the call of God, to walk in a manner worthy of the call. And then there's this beautiful picture, this be- these beautiful words of God will make you worthy. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful tension. There's an urging to each and every one of us to respond to the call of God. And then there's God saying, I will make you worthy. I believe that call is for each and every one of us this morning. To respond to the call of God. You might say, I've been serving God for 50 years. There's an urging this morning. You might say, listen, man, I just, I just walked in. I didn't even know where I was going. I didn't even know what this was about. You might have never really heard the gospel and how you've heard it today. There is an urging to respond. There is an urging for us to begin to adjust our perspective and make Christ the center of everything, not just of what we do, but of who we are. Because I believe that's always where God starts. He starts with our identity. He starts with with who He's created us to be. That we are a new creation. We're sons and daughters. That is who you are. And who you are needs to be centered around God. Centered around Christ. Everything that He is. And then when that's there, then everything that we do is centered around Him. Guys, we need to be a people who hear His voice, who respond to His call, and who are led by His spirits. In the small and the big, that relationship that you have at work, He wants us to be faithful and obedient in those areas. In your prayer life, He wants us to be faithful and obedient. In that decision to sell your house or move somewhere else, or to take a new job. He wants, he wants, Christ wants to be at the center of everything. 